Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard. In today's chaotic media landscape, it can feel impossible to reach people while they're actually paying attention. Flipboard solves that problem. Learn how at flipboardforbrands.com. That's flipboardforbrands.com. Hey, everybody, this is David. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you a little bit about an exciting event we've got coming up. It is literally going to be the biggest event in Adweek history, which is saying something. It is the first ever Brand Week Summit. Coming up very soon, September 23rd to 25th in Palm Springs. Uh, my friend Danny Wright, who runs our events business, he keeps saying, this is not a conference, this is a movement. And I believe him. It's a movement designed to shape the future of brands. There's not going to be any panels, not going to be sales pitches, just some of the biggest names, the smartest minds in brand marketing today. Uh, we've also got some big names you might have heard of, too. Kevin Hart is going to be there. That guy has just been in every ad you can imagine lately. He's going to have a lot to say about bridging Hollywood and marketing. We've got Lauren Hill performing, which is probably the part I'm most excited about personally. But then on the brand marketing side, of course, a bunch of big names. Uh, Bozema St. John, uh, who's been in the news lately, uh, she went from Beats, Apple to Uber, and now at Endeavor, one of the biggest rising stars in the marketing space. She'll be there. We're going to have top-level executives from Bumble, BET, IBM, Patron, Levi's, Dollar Shave Club, and the list keeps going. Go to brandweek.com to check out the lineup and learn more about it. The only bad news I've got is that our agency tickets that we set aside for agency folks are sold out. Uh, but we do still have a few spots for brand marketing leaders. So definitely check out brandweek.com if you work in the brand space, if you have some clients who you think would be a good fit for this event. Uh, it is really going to be a spectacular event. Not too large, really VIP, and uh, just a great place for networking and learning. And uh, who knows, maybe shaping the future of brand marketing. That's brandweek.com. Check it out, and I uh, hope to see you there. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor for Adweek. And uh, with me this week, very excited to have back Stephanie Patrick, our managing editor. Steph, always a pleasure. Hey, David. Good to be here. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. No, it's been too long. 
Well, you are always one of my favorites because you uh, oversee the entire uh, news operation here at Adweek. So you you are kind of involved in just about everything we cover. Uh, and so it'll be great to have your perspective on all the stuff we're going to be talking about. And we got a lot to talk about today. Yeah. Looking forward. All right. And we've also got back Doug Zanger, senior editor on the Creati- Creativity Beat with me. Doug, how you doing? Good. Good. Good to be here again. Well, we're going to be talking about a big old piece that you've been working on about <laughs> how uh, creativity has changed, especially in the in the advertising industry uh, since Trump was elected. And obviously, there was a lot of uh, you know creative uh, campaigns at the time uh, around the election uh, where agencies were weighing in on it, and then kind of went a bit quiet. Uh, afterward. And so we're just going to be talking about what has happened since then. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a really interesting piece and it's going to be a fun discussion. But first, let's get to the news. Well, this will be uh, this news will be a few days old by the time you listen to this, but did want to talk about it because it does have some really fascinating uh, intersections with the ad industry, which is the death of Aretha Franklin, the the Queen of Soul. She has died at seventy six, uh, and you know, as I'm sure most of you listening to this by now have heard, uh, quite a few uh, you know retrospectives on her career, which is incredible. Just one of the most powerful singers of all time, uh, truly an icon in, in so many ways. But I have to admit, even I was uh, flabbergasted to go back and see the sheer breadth and number of ads that she was in over the years. Uh, Doug, Steph, were you guys, were you, I mean, I, I feel like I knew maybe three of these. I went back and I just kept finding more and more going all the way back to the 60s. She was really a persistent ad icon. Yeah, David, your article on this was really eye-opening um, because I, I didn't realize that she was doing so many ads and that she, I think she started with Coke in the 60s and then went on decades later to do an ad for Pepsi. I mean, she, she was all over the place. Yeah, the, uh, you know, and what I what I loved about going back through her pieces is sometimes, I'll be honest, like when someone you really admire uh, passes away and you go back through their their advertising catalog, it's not always their finest moments, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's often people who they they maybe took a check every once in a while. And, <laughs> and, you know, and no shame in that. We all do it. Yeah. Uh, but usually, like, especially someone who's a movie star or a, um, or, you know, especially a musician, it's it's not always like their finest work, uh, but Aretha Franklin brought she just brought something to everyone. She like I, I noted in the article, she never phoned it in. Like even when it was a ridiculous idea, even when the whole point was was just silly, she never had that that look that we all know when a celebrity would rather be anywhere except in that <laughs> ad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she was committed. I love the Snickers one where she's in the car with like three bros on a road trip and they tell her she needs to eat a Snicker because she's acting like a diva. Like yeah. she, <laughs> it's such an odd pairing, you know, of people. Um, and she uh, she plays the diva very well. Yeah. So uh, John Tejada, our uh, video editor, put together a little highlight reel. Let's listen to a little bit of that because even with just the audio, of course, it's Aretha Franklin. So even with just the audio, you can appreciate we've got her appearing here in ads for uh, everything from uh, Pepsi and Amex to Snickers and uh, and uh, a few others uh, that are that may or may not be easier to guess. My favorite is she she did a mix. DLT ad for any child of the 80s will remember oh, yep. the McDLT ad which there was like a Jason Alexander spot where he's like dancing down the street talking about the McDLT I mean that thing was a marketing <laughs> blitz so I'm glad she got in on that <laughs> so uh, let's listen to a little of that uh, highlight clip that John uh, put together for us can we turn the AC up I'm dying back here it's on can't you feel it 
Can you feel that? Hit it, fellas. Uh, Doug, do you have a favorite from the Aretha Franklin ad catalog there? Oh, man. I, you know, I think that probably, probably Pepsi, I would say. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. And I think to your point, she had such a presence and it was, she was the type of person where you just, you just stopped, right? You just stopped and paid attention. There was no, you know, there, there was no waste in anything that she ever did. Um, I guess I'd say the Pepsi uh, one, but you know, going back to that original Coca-Cola commercial, I mean, it's it's fun to see uh, that far back that uh, you know they they were doing that type of stuff back in the '60s. So I'd I'd probably say Pepsi though. That probably stands out. And then the McDLT, of course, yeah, for for sheer camp value, uh, just McDLT again, kid of the uh, '70s and '80s here. That's that's definitely one of the classics. But I, what I appreciated in your article is that you included uh, her performance in the Blues Brothers, which I think stole that entire movie. That is the one part of the of the film that people refer to time and time again as probably one of the best parts of that film. So kudos on including that in your piece. Yeah, I think the thing that I, I did not realize as a kid watching, of course, you don't realize this as a kid watching the Blues Brothers, but you go back now and everyone is famous, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> everyone in that movie is famous. And when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, those people are singing now. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. that's Aretha Franklin singing in a diner. Uh, I, I, and- I think her I think her biggest moment, though, the, the one thing, there, there are a few things that stand out to me. So gr- growing up, we used to listen to a lot of Motown. So Diana Ross, a lot of soul and, and Aretha Franklin. And... I think that the one thing that stands out to me, and it just it it just goes slightly above everything else, is the time that she filled in for Pavarotti in the '98 uh, Grammy Awards. Um, and I forget the name of the song, of course, uh, but it uh, stunning. I mean, it's just it's one of those things that I watch and I still get chills. And I was listening to NPR yesterday. Um, that's a very Portland thing to do, and they they had, they had run a piece and and talked about her presence and they played a clip of music that was just probably some sort of random thing. And I, and I, I started, I got, I got chills. And I think that was the one thing. Her presence was so big that again, you stopped, but you you got chills. You absolutely got chills from her. Well, I've really enjoyed the highlight clips from interviews that she did over the years. She obviously had a, a kind of like, I'm not, I'm not here to mess around attitude uh, mm-hmm. in, in her, her interviews. Mm-hmm. My favorite was the one, you know, a lot of people point out when she was kind of uh, giving some shade to Taylor Swift and, you know, they asked her about Taylor Swift <laughs> as a singer and she was like, she's got nice gowns. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, my personal favorite was her talking to Ed Bradley where he's trying to ask her about the sexuality in her songs and she's just like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, in like R-E-S-P-E-C-T and she's like, that's not about sexuality, Ed. And he's like... No, but it is. She's like, I think you're kind of bringing your own thing into this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, wow. It's so good because she's just like staring him down like, no. And, you know, almost any other star would have been been kind of polite and be like, oh, you know, different people hear things different ways. But she's like, what part do you think is about sex and not about, you know, getting respect for who you are as a person? Oh, my God. And he was just like, uh, uh. It was like a a Matt Lauer interview before it was a Matt Lauer interview. Creepy and weird. Oh, Oh, too soon. Um. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, you can check out on Adweek. We put together the full recap of a, a lot, not even all of her ads, a quite a bit of them. But before we move on, let's listen to a little bit of her, one of her very first ads. This is a song she created. Uh, we would call it branded content today. Uh, this was a huge innovation on the part of Coke in the late 60s to work with some of the most talented up and coming and, and in some cases very famous stars. Uh, she did uh, She did a song with uh you know, that was written by Neil Diamond, actually, uh, and, and uh, re- recorded with uh, uh, with Ray Charles that is, is pretty fascinating. But I, let's listen to another one that she did solo from 1968, just because this is a killer song. And it's almost criminal that it's also an ad for Coke. <laughs> like, you're just like, how? <laughs> how does she pull this off? And, and, you know, there were a few others, but man, this one's my favorite. Let's listen to a little bit of that before we move on. So I think- Right. And one other uh, kind of newsy item, just uh, maybe quasi self-promotional here, um, but every year Adweek uh, gives out an award for innovation, invention, uh, in, in uh, marketing, and we call it the Project, Project Isaac Awards, named after Isaac Newton. And uh, our biggest winner is uh, given the Gravity Award. Again, a, a Newtonian reference there. Uh, I think the trophy is even shaped like an apple, isn't it, Steph? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, we're all about that, Newton. Um, and uh, so this year, I just wanted to go over a few of the quick winners. McCann, New York, which uh, I want to say won maybe two, three years ago for that field trip to Mars they did with Lockheed Martin, yeah, where they turned a bus. Yeah, they turned a bus into a, uh, a VR field trip across Mars, uh, driving students around D.C. And uh, this year, they're back with an astronaut reality helmet for Nat Geo. Uh, they have a science show called One Strange Rock, and this was a promotion for that. Uh, they, they created a, a limited run of these, as you can imagine, but where you put on an astronaut helmet and you actually get to experience what it's like going into space. Uh, it, it, this is one of those ideas that seems so obvious and yet so perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. It was, you said limited run. I think they made 25 of these helmets. And what I found was interesting was they made their own VR set essentially. You know, they didn't make a software program compatible with others. They made their own their own helmet. I think there are only 25 of these in existence. And um, the initial people who got to experience it were the journalists writing about the premiere of this show. Um, but afterwards, the helmets um, have been sent to um, museums and science centers so that, you know, o- other people can experience it. Uh, and the thinking behind it was that they hadn't really seen um, a VR, you know, experience that really captured what it was like to be up in space looking down on Earth. And uh, and so they they built it for that purpose. 
And I want to go over a few of the campaigns. Some of these we've mentioned before on the show. Some we have not. Uh, Home Depot had their built-in pins where they used uh, Pinterest pins to create these kind of 360-degree uh, shoppable experiences. And we really kind of showed it's – honestly, if anything, it's it's really an ad for Pinterest and for the capabilities of that. But the built-in pins campaign from Agency 22 Squared uh, is great. That was recognized in there. Uh, there's a, a uh, awesome AR campaign that some of you may have seen for 19 Crimes uh, – which is a, a, a wine uh, from Australia. Really good wine, just going to throw out there. Uh, pretty, <laughs> not, not to give them a plug, but I'm just saying, if you're in the market for a... Uh, I, I always get which crime mixed up. I'm... I'm, I'm I'm by, I, I only know, like, they put different criminals on the cover of each one, so I know which criminals I like. I just grab those. Uh, but they had an AR, uh, AR integration where you could hold your phone up and, it, and that criminal would tell you their story of how they were exiled to Australia uh, and, and what crimes they committed. Uh, very cool one. Uh, and uh, I think that was from JWT uh, was the agency on that. Uh, and then scrolling through to see, uh, oh, uh, 1917 Live. Uh, this is from RT, the, the Russian TV network. Uh, but they basically took uh, they took the Russian Revolution and they told told the entire story again in tweets. Uh, this this won a few awards uh, on the circuit, you know, at Cannes and stuff, but uh, really a, a great way. I love these old historic uh, Twitter, you know, uses of Twitter, uh, not to brag, but I was a little early on on that front. Uh, when Twitter first launched, I created a, a Twitter feed out of my great aunt's diary from the Depression where she wrote a line of oh, wow. a line a day. And um, I remember at the time, like Biz Stone from Twitter tweeted about it and a bunch of people wrote about it. Mental Floss wrote about it because at the time, just not many people had used Twitter in a way that wasn't just like, I ate a burrito today. Um, and <laughs> I thought that would be a cool way to, uh, you know, to kind of share it. And so I've really enjoyed watching since then how people have turned, you know, messages about the Titanic into, uh, you know, into a Twitter feed. And, and this 1917 Live did it really well. Uh, you know, the there was a little bit of creative invention. You know, it wasn't all just direct quotes, but uh, they did a fantastic job with it. Uh, and then uh, one of the others that we've probably talked about is Skittles exclusive The Rainbow. This was their quote-unquote Super Bowl ad, where Skittles supposedly made, a, a and DDB Chicago made an entire Super Bowl ad that could only be seen by one person. Uh, Marcos Menendez was the only guy who got to watch it. Uh, it starred, I believe, David Schwimmer. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's it. And they've never shown anybody else other than the people who made it and that one guy. Uh, so just a, a really inventive way to build buzz around something that people haven't actually seen. Uh, Steph, were there any that jumped out at you? You know, one I thought was interesting um, was uh, Phillips did did something called Mom's Energy, and it was from Wonderman uh, in Buenos Aires. And it was where they created these shoes that moms could wear that collect kinetic energy and then would use that energy to power, um, like, women's and maternity wards in hospitals. So as if, like, moms weren't doing enough, they can also now power up hospitals, (laughs) like, while they're (laughs) running after their kids and doing everything else they do. Love it. Uh, Doug, any that you liked uh, from this year's list? Uh, there was something on there that I've never seen before from McCann. It was called Fearless Girl. Was Is that what it's called? Is that, <laughs> is that, tell me out, more. Rounding that, out their year of award called? shows. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, let's see. We covered something recently that was done by Wonderman in Buenos Aires, and it was around cyberbullying, and it's called Perspectives, and it's, it's done by a, um, a mobile carrier down there. And the whole idea is 
that you're able to move your phone and switch between uh, two videos that see both, you know, see all sides of cyberbullying. And the whole point is just to really paint a picture of what what bullying really looks like, and to get parents and kids to really work on that. I thought that was really well done. Uh, and then, I mean, of course, you know, the talk from PNG. I, I think that's one of those. Uh, one of those ads, but it's it's more than just an ad. It's a movement that I think is going to continue to live, breathe, and evolve. And I think it's something that's really special, not just for PNG, but I also think that it's something that hopefully we're going to see more of, uh, in especially getting more impact into into social issues. But I mean, that's that's just uh, that's always going to be one that that we're going to look back on five years from now and say that was something really special. Yeah, big uh, big props to Wonderman Bu- uh, Buenos Aires for. Uh appearing yep. on the list multiple times. That's an agency you you may not think of off the top of your head as, as a global front runner, but obviously are investing. They're kind of like a BBDO Bangkok uh, in Thailand. They That's an agency that basically almost everything they do is innovation-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on here as well for some of the work they've done. But you know, whenever they send me uh, a note about new work they have, it's I open it right away. Like I have to know like what weird thing have they invented? Uh, you know, it's like a helmet that detects when uh, motorcycle riders have been in a crash because there's so many rural uh, you know roads that are away from nine one one service in uh, in Thailand. Just stuff like that. Man, they've done so many. I think this time uh, they, I don't have it in front of me, but they had a, a campaign called. Um, what is it? Uh, it's an autocorrect cam- or an autofill campaign where basically like when when you're texting someone who is depressed or who might be having, you know, some some issues uh, with depression and you start texting them something, it corrects, you know, it suggests better phrasing. So instead of just like, why don't you just try being mm-hmm. happy? You know, it, it, it suggests more constructive phrasing that, that uh, psychologists have recommended. Um, and uh, so, yeah, man, they're that BBDO Bangkok and uh, Wonderman Buenos Aires both uh, really leading the edge on that one. So uh, definitely if you uh, just Google around for Project Isaac Adweek, you'll find all of this year's winners uh, on the site. And big thanks to Dave John Tazio, our uh, writer who tackled tons of these and uh, and wrote the cover story on this. It's a really great piece. And with that, we're going to move on to this week's ads worth watching. Doug, uh, what do you want to talk uh, about this week? Can, can we talk about Ryan Reynolds, please? Every there week. should yes. just be a dedicated segment <laughs> to Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> can we so, start a Ryan Reynolds appreciation podcast? <laughs> I think there, 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 there's I'm probably for a about 8 million of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So it's, I feel like I feel like Steph should give us some 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 background here on the the Ryan split among the Adweek. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to let you all in on a secret, not so secret if you pay attention to Twitter. But our our staff, our newsroom, is divided into two camps. There's Team Reynolds and Team Gosling, and this feud has been going on for years now, like two maybe three years. It's practically an interview question when we're bringing new people in, like, which team are you on? If people leave, like, the, the numbers have changed. You know, like, it started out, Reynolds was really strong. Then La La Land came out, and, and Gosling was, like, <laughs> ahead. I think it's coming back around to Reynolds. Um, I'm going to go on the record as saying I'm Team Reynolds. Yeah. So, so I am Team Gosling, and every time I start to really – but you're right. It's like a stock chart. You know, it's just it, <laughs> one of them does something. I've I've just never I, I'm not a big man. Uh, 
man, I don't know if I want to get the tweets from this, but like, not a big Deadpool fan. Um, just, I don't know. Ooh, not, not my. Them's fighting words. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it, there's only so many like meta pop culture references I really need in a movie. And, and so it's just I, like, but I will say that the stuff he does in marketing, uh, which maybe brings us back to topic, uh, has been good. And I was starting to fade on Gosling until I saw the new Blade Runner, which I've mentioned on here before, was shockingly good. Uh, and I really kind of, Fell back into that camp, but so there's the there's the basis of any time a Ryan story pops up, the Adweek staff leans forward and gets ready to pounce. Uh, so, uh, Doug, tell us what he did this time around. So, uh, out of office email uh, messages tend to be pretty bland. Uh, now, as a backstory, he is an investor in Aviation Gin, which is, um, and I'll do Chamber of Commerce here. It's a Portland-based uh, gin company. People were encouraged to email Ryan at AviationGin.com. And there were so many emails that came in, it melted the servers. And if you look at the uh, if you look at the piece that David did, uh, you get to see what some of the out of out of office responses are. Borderline inappropriate, but very much in the vein of Ryan Reynolds type of comedy. Uh, so yeah, I mean it got it got a lot of heat, and people were paying attention to it. And uh, I I, I have, we should probably email today to see if there is a message still. If there's if there's another one there, there's a new one. Is yeah, it? they sent me the they sent me the new one yesterday. Um, yeah, so he's done five of these now, and uh, and and basically each one kind of kind of makes the same joke, which is that I'm not at my desk because I don't actually have a desk. And then he usually just riffs on the fact that he's this Hollywood star. And so I think in the new one he talks about like watching his pet dolphins swim through swim in the moat. <laughs> like while while he's writing this, uh, let's listen to a little bit. He, so the reason that their email servers literally melted the other day—well, not literally melted, but crashed—is uh, because he went on uh, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and uh, Fallon had him read one of these out of office, and then and then said the email address out loud and encouraged everyone. So let's listen to a little bite from that show where Reynolds is reading uh, a portion of one of his out of offices. This is six paragraphs long. Yeah, I just, just a, yeah, yeah. This is your out of office email. Yeah. We highlighted some stuff. Yeah, it was, it was fun. In case you wanted yeah, to... Just... It was a bit of an overshare. I enjoyed it. It was, uh, yeah, I said, this is my only, only my second out of office reply. And from what I'm told, it should be short, sweet, never only personal, never personal. I said, this father's, this is a father's day. I said, this is the perfect time to give your dad the best aviation American gin. I said, while my own father may be gone, the unspoken tension we shared is alive and well. <laughs> this father's day, you may not be able to give dad a second chance, but you can give him a bottle of aviation American gin. <laughs> or if he died before either of you could even begin to comprehend the importance of closure, just get yourself a bottle. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, that's just an out-of-office reply. Short and sweet. (laughs) Short and sweet, nothing too personal. I have one right now. If you email me at ryan at aviationgin.com, you can uh, get one right now. So, yeah, you know, it's not a traditional ad in the sense, but, I mean, that's what makes great ads these days is that it's not... It's not what you'd expect, and it's an ad that kind of keeps building on itself. And Reynolds really does write these. You know, he he's definitely no one's writing him for him. Uh, and there, and he's done some other clever marketing. I should I should point out with Aviation Gin, he did a uh, interview with his supposed twin brother Gordon, uh, who is. Uh, is fake. I think they they made him up for promoting maybe Deadpool or something else. There was some other reason they invented this character. <laughs> uh, but he's like the really he's the even meaner Ryan Reynolds. 
<laughs> like just makes fun of him. Like I remember in the last one, he was like, "How are your kids?" And Ryan's like, "Oh, they're good." He's like, "Yeah, children of celebrities. Those all, they always turn out great. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be fine." <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it's uh, definitely you can drop an email to Ryan at uh, at aviationgen.com and you can get your own own bounce back. Uh, but yeah, they got twenty thousand emails in one day after he was on. Uh, the Tonight Show, and it just it just uh, overloaded their system, and they had some fun with that too, of course. Uh, so yeah, uh, that that's been a good one. And uh, but we have a more quasi traditional ad that we think of as we think of ads uh, that that you want to talk about this week. Well, what was that one? Oh, big blockbuster for Audi from BBH in London. Uh, martial arts themed, big fight between two rival gangs in Thailand. And as our hero in the spot is thrown from a building, he's trying to find a place to escape. And tastefully merchandised are the Audi A6, A7, and A8. He makes his way to the A8, realizes that the back door is open. He slides on in, and the car's new comfort system engages and fires up. He, uh, he then takes, uh, takes an opportunity to get a foot massage. I didn't realize that is a feature in a car, but apparently in the A8, uh, you can get a foot massage if you're sitting in the back seat. Uh, and it, what, what made it really funny was the, the cut to uh, the Commodore's, uh, what was it, uh, Easy? That Easy like Sunday morning? Yes. Yes. So, uh, which, which I should say is, an, is from Alabama. I feel like you get is to it? claim so many Portland things. I feel like I need to claim anything I can for Alabama. <laughs> okay. Yes, well, the and, Commodores and, are from Alabama. Okay, and, and, and Doug Jones. Yep, okay, good. Uh, but it, it's nice. I mean, it's it's very clever. It's very witty. Uh, there's there's a really good comedic payoff. And, and again, we went back to the whole idea of pacing. Something like this could very well have been dragged out, but it's it's really well done. It's not too much. It's just enough. And it's one of those classic... You know, one of those classic big time epic looking ads that just, you know, allows you to stop and, and enjoy for a little bit. And the fact that there's a brand wrapped around it is kind of nice as well. So it fits really well. And, you know, it's, it's BBH and BBH tends to do outstanding stuff like this and just feels very much, uh, you know, very much like them, which, uh, which makes it fun as well. Well, I will say, I, th- I think Doug, Doug summarized it really well. Um, what I love was the change in tone because like you said, it is, it has this feeling when the, when the ad starts, it's like you're being dropped in the middle of a Hollywood fight movie that takes itself very seriously. And then from the minute he gets in the car and, and he's like getting the foot massage and stuff, it's a total shift in tone and you realize you're in a commercial and it, it I think it has a funny impact. So it's really well executed. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to strike a balance. I mean, because sometimes the joke can go too long. Sometimes it can be unfinished. Um, but I, I, again, and you know, some of us, some of us craft nerds talk about this, you know, pacing and, and making sure that the timing is right. These are, these are things that sometimes get missed. Uh, and you know, the other thing about this too is, and, and actually Sir John Hegarty discussed this with, uh, Eva Santos at Cannes this year. This is actually debuting in the UK. This isn't a global spot yet. But my guess is, is is that like Audi's The Doll That Chose to Drive, which started in Spain, this ad will probably end up all over the place because it is that good. But it's starting in the UK, uh, but I think, it, I think it translates into a lot of different areas. So it's starting as something local uh, that fits really well with the local market, but it's a global theme and I think it'll do really well. 
Doug, I thought that was a really interesting part of um, your story about how, you know, building a campaign for a global audience can be more cost effective, but it can be hard to break through. Um, so that you're, you're seeing some of these people take more of a local approach. But if the local approach then breaks through globally, that's interesting, kind of having cake and eating it too. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that I, I would I would assume that as a creative you're going to go in with what's what's the best idea number one right, and mm -hmm. then secondary to that is all right well you know let's let's look at the brief let's figure out how this works how this works locally what's going to resonate with this audience, and you know I, I think with a big brand like Audi you've got a little bit more flexibility I think that I like the fact that Audi is pretty ambitious and it's not just BBH I think that uh, you know Venables does some really good work with the brand here and I think certain car brands lend themselves lend themselves to that um, but I think that you know it's it's nice to have some flexibility with that I, I think as a creative it's it's hard to um, you know, to, to separate your mind from, all right, we need to make this super local because then that could be really, that could be really dull and boring. Um, but universal that works locally can transport anywhere. I mean, that's, that's really gold mm -hmm. and that's really interesting to see. But I thought that was a good perspective that Ava gave because I honestly thought the doll, the doll that chose to drive, I was yeah. like, oh, this is such a great global campaign. It's like, no, this started in Spain. So I, that was really surprising to me. Yeah, the, uh, the one thing I wanted to give a shout out to that this spot reminded me of was have you, have either of you seen the remake of the man from uncle? Yes. No. So it's great is my plug. It's one of those like movies I watched on an airplane thinking I would just go to sleep. It's earnestly great. Uh, it's super enjoyable, but there is a scene where, uh, and uh, I'm going to need your help on remembering actor names. Army Hammer is in it. He's, uh, he's, he plays, Henry Cavill. Yeah. And Cavill, that's it. Superman. Like, so uh, those are the two, uh, Cavill's the American, uh, Army Hammer is the Russian. And there's a scene where they're trying to escape from some like, you know, crime boss's lair. And uh, Army Hammer is like driving this boat around, getting shot at and fist fighting people and all this stuff. And meanwhile, like Cavill sneaks into a car, like into a truck and just sits there and he opens the glove box and there's like a sandwich and a bottle of wine. <laughs> and he turns on the radio and he's just sitting there like what? And in the background, you see, you know, that you, you see uh, Army Hammer's character getting chased around <laughs> like dozens of bad guys and getting shot at. And he's just like eating a sandwich and tucking a napkin under his chin. And Cavill's just having a great time. So it reminded me of that. That's my favorite scene scene in uh, one of my favorite scenes in recent memory in, in a movie. So, and check out that movie. It's, it's real good. I'm hoping they make a sequel soon. I have to watch that. And you guys, I have to admit, I've never seen Blues Brothers. So now I have what? two good movie. Uh, I know. I what know. What movies did you, you know. watch in Arizona? What were you watching down there? <laughs> well, I was, I was born the year it came out. So I was a little young to be watching movies. And somehow I've just never... I've never seen it, so yeah. you know. Part, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Parts of it hold up better than others, but it's in general. I think you will be just really pleased to see people like Carrie Fisher and these people popping up really in their prime. You know, Aretha Franklin looks so young. You know, it's just uh, it, it's it's got some really nice little moments. Uh, and and yeah, and yeah, yeah. There's there's obviously quite a few fans out there. All right, it's time to move on to our uh, big discussion of the week. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard a curated content app reaching over 145 million monthly users who are paying attention to great content and innovative brands like yours. Learn more at flipboardforbrands.com. That's flipboardforbrands.com. All right, getting back to Zangertown here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doug oh, wow. wrote a, uh, 
a lengthy piece in print uh, in Adweek this week about, uh, originally we uh, called this, as I record this, I don't know the exact headline we ended up going with, but we've been calling it creativity in the in the era of Trump. Uh, Doug, tell us a little bit about what your what your goal was uh, with, with kind of raising. This is something you started pursuing and asking people about quite a while ago. Uh, what were you... What story were you trying to, to find here? Yeah, I, I had this theory um, that that creativity and work seem to be not as aggressive, not as funny, not trying to, you know, not trying to really break through. It, it's not a great way to say it, but it just felt as though that, that work seemed um, not as great as it could be. And I think that, I just I just had this weird theory. I thought, you know, let me let me test this theory out. Let me let me talk to a couple of people and see if they actually let me talk to a few senior creatives and see if, if this is an accurate thought. So reached out to a few people and I said, do, do you are you noticing a trend with this? Are you noticing that, that the work maybe isn't as good as it can as it can be because of the state of you know the state of the country right now and the mindset of the country? And sure enough, it, it was it overwhelmingly came back as yeah, it's it's really weird that you say that because those are those are some things that we're discussing. Like you know, how do we how do we do this without offending? But we really want to start getting into you know, we 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 need to do good work, but we can't necessarily take these big stands. And and brands are are feeling a little bit reticent to really stick their necks out. So that's really where it all started. I just had this weird theory that this was that this was a thing. And sure enough, after doing a little bit of digging, uh, it was the truth. And so I spoke to a, a few senior creatives and got their view on it. And it, yeah, it is interesting to see what the mindset is, because I think if you look at advertising and you look at agencies, a lot of agencies like to say that they, uh, you know, that, that they reflect culture. And so if we're in an era, <clears throat> excuse me, where where the culture right now is angry, where the culture is polarized, what does that mean for the work? So that's really where the foundation of this started. And it was an interesting discussion. Now, there there's some bleak stuff in there, but there's also also some some kernels of growth and opportunity which I think will be interesting to see in the next year or so. I think that there'll be some optimism and hopefully that's going to reflect in the work. And and like anything, there are exceptions. There are clearly exceptions. I mean, there are some brands that have absolutely no qualms about taking on the president. They have no qualms about sharing their beliefs um, and they really don't care about the blowback. But you have some legacy brands that are starting to dip their toe into this and they're getting not militant, but they're they're getting to a point where it's like, no, this is what we really believe in. I mean, P and G is a good example. Unilever is a good example. Um, you know, without directly, you know, without directly referencing Trump, but referencing culture in America and just diversity and inclusion. I think HP for the longest time has been doing really, really solid work. You know, what it comes down to is a brand may have a belief that they want to share. And some are more willing to stick their necks out. So you take a look at HP and you see what BBDO is doing. You see what Fred and Fareed's doing. And it's really interesting work. And again, it's, it's more talking about their commitment to diversity and inclusion. And it, it's, it's making its point. And, you know, P&G, obviously, with the talk and Unilever with the work that they're doing, I, I think we're going to start seeing more of it. But it felt like there was this quick burst with you know, 84 Lumber, with some of the Super Bowl work. I thought there was really a big burst there. 
Um, and then the big thing, too, was that leading up to the election, there were a lot of stunts. I mean, David, so many, so many stunts. So many stunts. Yeah, you mean like agency stuff ripping into to Trump or into yeah 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 yeah. And we all know that this industry leans really liberal. It leans it leans left. There's there's no debating that. Uh, so we started seeing these stunts. Some were a little more tongue in cheek. I thought what Critical Mass did, you know, come to Canada, move to Canada, and here's how you do it. Because no, no one thought this was going to be a thing. Everyone thought, oh, let's just have a little bit of fun. And then all of a sudden, boom. There he is. Oh, God, what do we do now? Yeah, like Wyden and Kennedy was selling uh, Trump BS bologna yeah, sandwiches, sandwiches. Yeah. out yeah. of a food cart with like a waiter dressed up. And yeah, it's just like in retrospect now, and you mentioned this in the piece, that that stuff seems so kind of – I mean, it was always juvenile in its own way. But you know what I mean? It seems like uh, pedantic in the sort of like, oh, we were just playing in a sandbox. We weren't treating this seriously. Right. And I think that's one of the things with this industry is that, you know, there, there tends to be some inside baseball and some navel gazing. And to a degree, I think that's I think that's fun. But I don't think we realized how much really, truly was at stake with all of this. I, I thought I think everybody thought, oh, you know, and this, this is never going to happen. There's there's no way this is going to happen. And we'll go back to business as usual. And now all of a sudden, you know, brands that are in Trump's crosshairs now, they're, they're not going to say anything. Um, they just, they, they don't want to get the blowback. Um, at least that's what I understand from, from talking to people. Um, yeah. And I feel like we should be clear that this isn't about, you know, this isn't a story saying like, when are brands going to start bashing on Trump? You know, it's, right. not, it's, it's about the fear on, in every direction and the, the, like the, the lack of acknowledging that we're in these tremendously polarizing times where everyone says like, you're either on one side or the other. And of course, brands never want to pick sides in anything. You know, they want, they want to be everybody's brand. Uh, and, and, but even beyond that, even beyond saying like we're pro-Trump or we're anti-Trump, like they're afraid to weigh in on almost anything because as we as we see every day, stuff that you don't even imagine could get political gets political. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. everything turns into a firestorm. Yeah. And like Doug was mentioning with uh, – I think the, the Super Bowl is such an interesting touch point and that's where I really noticed it where you know the Super Bowl in 2017 – you know, not long after the election, you did have 84 Lumber coming out with a very, you know, even though it didn't mention Trump, it was a it was an ad about a border wall. Um, you had Budweiser's ad about immigration. And, you know, they, Budweiser got so much blowback for that, um, which in another year would have been a very innocuous ad. Um, and I noticed, you know, the big swing this year uh, in, in the Super Bowl was, you know, people just stepped back from politics altogether. Or if anything, to your point about being bland, there was a lot of like, let's all get along. <laughs> right. or, you know, these kind of kumbaya right. ads that aren't very, in, you know, that aren't going to offend anybody, but they're not going to excite anybody. And I don't envy brands right now because, you know, consumers are voting with their wallet and they want brands that share, you know, their values and their ideologies in, in some respects. Um, and and also politics is something that is on everybody's mind one way or the other. So they've they've got to wade into it, but it's it's not easy to do. And I think trying to, to create an ad that doesn't mention Trump, that is provocative, but that doesn't, you know, offend half of your customers is it's a tall order. Well, what's interesting, what's interesting too, is that when we talk about 
anything that's polarizing. The fact is, and and there was some there was some data from Civic Nation, which is the group of uh, creative agencies that work on on certain civic projects that I mentioned, and Mechanism. Jason Harris was one of the one of the founding members of that. They've done campaigns in the past that that show that a vast majority of Americans are actually in the middle, but it's the small minority that tends to be the most voluminous, the loudest, and. I'm intrigued about where that's going to go. And I I think Civic Nation in general as well, I think that they do good work. I'd like to see them stick their necks out a little bit more uh, because I'm not sure that that message of, no, you know, actually most people are in the middle. Some might lean a little bit to the right. Some might lean a little bit to the left. But for the most part, this country isn't as polarized as you think. It's just this small majority that, that is wrestling control in terms of the narrative. Yeah, they're, they're just, we use this phrase, well, we don't, I think one of your sources used phrase that we're in this creative hangover mm-hmm. uh, that, that you know, to your point, you know, all these agencies got really fired up about the election, but then once it was over, and, and as Steph mentioned, we saw quite a few uh, so, you know, directly political and quasi-political ads in the in the February 2017 Super Bowl. Uh, but then this year, none of it, you know, the creative, like that short burst of kind of politically minded marketing. And, and if you remember CMOs and it were much more vocal in those first few months uh, when Trump was, you know, putting together these uh, you know, business leader committees and right. stuff. And there was a lot of debate about who should be on that and who should stay on that. Uh, and then since then, it's just quiet. And I do agree with that phrase that it's just like, it's not that creatives aren't fired up. They're just, they're just kind of beaten down and hung over on this whole, on this whole thing. And, you know, they, they, there's, I wanted to read from a quote uh, that you have near the top of the story from Laura Fegley, uh, ECD at Cole, Mac, uh, Cole McVoy, where she says, uh, creati- creativity now is more nervous, more apologetic. The tribes we formed in America would make you think that we would, be, we would move toward highly polarized work. But instead, the work can become mild salsa, falling into the worst trap of trying to say things that offend no one and really aren't exciting to anyone. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like that's a perfect summary. It's just everyone's just walking on eggshells, which I think is another literal quote that you have maybe even from her about like just no one wants it. It's like we are in these highly, highly polarized, energized for better or worse, kind of times, and yet marketers are just sitting it out and just just kind of hiding in a bunker and hoping all of this blows over. Yeah, and it's it's a shame, really, because you know the best the, the best in creatives comes out when they're able to have that oxygen to be able to explore a lot of different areas and to explore places that might you know might seem weird and different. Um, so it you know it, it is a shame. Now, there's, there's another side to this as well, and this actually excites the hell out of me, is that we're starting to see this recalibration of senior creative talent. So we're starting to see more women in senior roles, starting to see, um, you know, hopefully we'll start seeing more people of color in, in senior creative roles. And I think that's going to have, a, it's, you know, it's, it's like turning the Titanic. It's, it's not easy to, to do really quickly, but I think over time, we're going to start seeing work that is, I mean, spectacular. Not to say that, you know, the, the male creatives weren't doing great work, but I think this is an interesting time and it'll be interesting to watch the next few years to see just overall what creativity looks and feels like. And David, I think from, you know, from our experience in Cannes, some of the award-winning work that we saw, you know, I, I think that there, there are definitely some glimmers of hope. 
Um, you know, and I, and I think the other thing to, to recognize as well is that what we're mainly talking about is creativity in the United States. I think when, when we talk about overseas, that's, that's a completely different conversation. Um, but I'm excited to see where it all goes. And I, and I, I think that the hangover analogy is one thing, but eventually hangovers go away after a big greasy egg and bacon breakfast. And from there you get fired up to get to the next thing. And that's, that's my hope. And I honestly think that this industry will step up big time and I'm excited to see what it's going to look like in the next few years. Steph, what's your, what's your prediction on this front? Do you think marketers are going to uh, start to, to tread back onto the end of these kinds of minefields and be willing to do that? Or do you think that we're just in this for an indefinite period. Well, I, I would agree with Doug. I mean, I think these things in general are are cyclical, um, but also it's a fantastic point about, you know, we've seen a lot of departures of chief creatives, um, and we've seen, I think, a real, um, you know, movement in the industry in the past year um, with uh, elevating, you know, people with different perspectives. And so um, I, I, I think that that's really promising. I mean, to we recently hosted an event, um, a women in, in media and sports event. And on the panel I talked about, I, w- I was talking with several women in media, and we talked about the Vogue cover of Beyonce. And Vogue did this like crazy thing where they turned over control to Beyonce and they let her have control of what the cover photo would be. And she chose the photographer and she wrote her own story. And, you know, when I when I heard that that was going to happen, I thought, well, how different will the outcome be? And then the issue came out and it was really different. It was clear that this was a lens. This was a perspective that we didn't have before. And so I think the same, you know, you can can apply that same thing when you have different different people leading the creative vision. We're going to see different work and that's going to be exciting. I, I, I want to reference one thing because there's a lot of parallels that could be made to the late 60s, right? Like uh, even my parents, uh, re, you know, reference uh, the, the 60s and Nixon, you know, when they talk about the, the similar feeling for them of going through this. I think the, you know, and the other parallel, too, is that the marketing of the late 60s did not reflect, uh, you know, they tried to capitalize on the hippies and, you know, and on mm-hmm. some of the more radical, but they'd never reflected it because to Doug's point, those people were not represented in the leadership of agencies. No real shock to anybody uh, that in the late 60s, uh, it was not the most diverse place, you know, in advertising. No. There, there's a there's a movie I will cautiously, I'm not saying I recommend the movie, but I think it's a, it's an interesting uh, parallel is Putney Swope uh, from 1969. D- Doug, you're enough of a nerd. You may have heard of this. Does that ring? Uh, no, that uh, it, it vaguely rings a bell. <laughs> but you're getting yeah, you you're, be, you're, you're getting all upmarket on me here. Yeah, this is I'm getting I'm getting pretty obscure. Steph, have you ever heard of this one, Putney Swope? She doesn't know the Blues Brothers. No. How's she gonna know that? <laughs> she, I know. she knows the Blues Brothers. You guys are so old. I know. Yeah, Thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> kidding. Uh, I think Steph and I are like we're like two years apart. We're two years yeah. apart. Um, two years makes a big difference. Clearly. So uh, Putney Swope was directed by Robert Downey Sr. Uh, in 1969, uh, and it's—I uh, pulled up the summary here just to make sure I was remembering it correctly. And yeah, it's, it's kind of funny in the sense that it is a satire, uh, and it's not a satire you could make today because it would certainly upset quite a few people. But it's about an ad agency that only has one black employee, uh, and he, in this bizarre—I think like the—I think the founder of the agency dies or something, but that that he becomes Putney Swope becomes the head of the company. And so basically it's a satire about white people, especially white people in businesses, fear of what will happen if black people get in power. Mm. <laughs> and so he changes the name of the ad agency to something like Truth and Soul. Um, 
and uh, and then he immediately like bans. We're not going to work with companies that that do the following things. You know that no no alcohol, no tobacco, no toy guns, like nothing that you know. It's like they start really separating themselves from industries that they no longer want to support through their marketing. Uh, so on the one hand, it's an empowering kind of movie about change, but then of course it's a satire in the '60s. They take it to some very bizarre places that probably would not hold up. Um, but anyway, it's it's interesting to go back, even in the late '60s, that this was kind of a topic of of how the marketing industry does not reflect society, and what would happen if it did. Right? What would happen right. if you had that that moment where it suddenly flipped over? And yeah, and so I don't know. Uh, again, cautiously recommend that one because it, it it does not hold up to modern sensibilities. But if you can set that aside and look at it uh, as a movie unto its own, it's it's called Putney Swope uh, from 1969 uh, that covers some of these issues. So, uh, well, I definitely encourage everyone to check out uh, Doug's piece uh, in print edition on adweek.com. And yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, podcast at adweek.com is our email. Uh, we love hearing from you. Uh, you know, some people complain whenever we get political, but you know, hey, that's kind of what we're talking about is that I don't think any of us is saying like, uh, you know, oh, you should be very, I, I, again, I live in Alabama. Uh, and so you you don't have the luxury here of like hating everyone who disagrees with you. <laughs> you know, I, I live in a in a a very you know, I'm in Birmingham, a famously uh, kind of racially balanced and uh, at the same time uh, you know imbalanced uh, city uh, that's had a you know really kind of fascinating and difficult background. Uh, but uh, you know, and I'm also in a very dark red state uh, that, and so it's just one of those things that. If you live in an area like that, again, you just don't have that luxury of of saying like I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm I'm not going to agree. You know, I'm not going to give anyone any common ground. You can't live like that <laughs> if you're in a place where those those people exist and where you know Trump won the state by like sixty something percent. Uh, so you know, it's it. I think that has exposed me to. Just hearing from more normal people who are on the right side of the divide, uh, you know, on the on the ideological spectrum versus. If you're online, you only hear from the extremes, right? Right. Like you only you only the like middle. see you're, the, you're talking yeah, the and, middle. and no one can believe uh, that there's any anywhere in, in the in between that you are either like yeah. you know it got to be on this end or the other. And the reality is, we all live in the middle. I think we're just saying like when will brands kind of acknowledge any of this and really wade into that uh, that space can be hard to predict. But Doug, thanks for tackling that one. It's a great read. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Steph, thanks for coming on the show again. It's been great having you back. Thanks for having me back. This has been a blast. I'd like to to remind everybody to mark their calendars for November 17th. That's when Arizona State takes on the University of Oregon in football. Steph and I have a bet. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that that's a very important date. Please get it in your calendars now. Are you Team Doug or Team Steph? This is the Those question. Are the hashtags that matter. <laughs> and here for a, for a, Go Devils. for a fleeting, just bright incandescent moment, I thought Doug was going to remind people that the midterm elections are on November 6th. <laughs> And, and, and that too. No. And that too. Yes. He's a, he's Don't worry a man about with those. priorities. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thank you, everyone. And uh, and it, it's it's been a fun discussion. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was edited by Lane McGibney and produced by Anna Fernando. Please take a moment, if you have not, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. We love hearing those reviews. They mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week.
Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.